This is Dave Green from East Line Studio, where we produce the Historian's Podcast with Bob Cudmore. In the coming weeks, we'll be speaking with authors and historians from all over the country. The Historian's airs each and every Sunday morning on bobcudmore.com and soundcloud.com. Search East Line Studio. The Historian's is also heard on Rise Mondays at 11.30 and Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Rise, the WMHT service for the blind and print disabled, WMHT.org. And the GoFundMe campaign continues. You can make a donation to Bob Cudmore at GoFundMe.com slash The Historian's. This is The Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore, we're joined by Stephen Engelhart, who's Executive Director of Adirondack Architectural Heritage. How are you doing, Steve? I'm great, Bob. Glad, so glad to be with you. I understand you have a, quite an interesting tale to tell about this organization. It seems somewhat self-explanatory. Adirondack Architectural Heritage. What does the organization do? Well, you're right. It is kind of self-explanatory. Uh, we, we are an, an organization uh, dedicated to the preservation of um, the region's uh, significant architecture and and communities. But but just exactly how you know broad our interests are as an organization, and I think the number of things that we do for as an organization is um, is quite uh, interesting and, and quite remarkable. And uh, you know, we do everything from. Uh, offering every year a very big, ambitious uh, program of uh, public education events, including tours and workshops and conferences and lectures, and we periodically uh, publish things. Uh, But we also help to manage uh, a state historic site called Camp Santanoni. We've been involved in the preservation of Adirondack fire towers. We give out a lot of advice to people all over the region about how to how to restore their historic buildings, and we own a historic property ourselves, where our offices are in Keysville. So we do um, we do quite a quite a few things for a, a small organization. How long has the organization existed? Well, this is our 25th anniversary, and um, so we yeah, so we go back to 1990, and it all began uh, at a, a conference. Uh, put on by the Preservation League of New York State, the statewide preservation organization. Somebody posted a notice on a bulletin board saying, anybody interested in forming a preservation organization in the Adirondacks, please show up at such and such a place. And and about, you know, 12 or 15 people showed up, and, and I was among them, and and uh, that's uh, that's where it all began. So you've been with it from the beginning, from 1990? Yeah, I was a, I was a founding board member, and then uh, four or five years later, when the organization was in a position to hire its first full-time executive director, I applied for and, and got the position, and so I'm now in my 21st year. Hmm. Is your, uh, I mean, were you educated in history or in engineering or architecture or something like that? Like that or? Well, I came to the field by sort of a circuitous route. I, I've always had a lifelong uh, interest in, in history, and uh, it was partly because that was something that interested my, my parents, and uh, so it was something they shared with uh, their children. I originally, after high school, went to architecture school because I was also loved architecture, but I didn't find a very good fit for me at the time. And uh, I did a number of things when I was in my 20s, including uh, being trained as a stonemason. 
And during my the time that I worked as a stonemason, I got a job restoring the brick chimneys of the Kent de Lord House Museum in Plattsburgh. And in working with the preservation architect there, he sort of opened up a whole world to me uh, of historic preservation. And it sort of it combined my interest in history, in architecture, in doing uh, things that were meaningful for the community. And I, it was like a light bulb went mm-hmm. off, and I, 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 I saw that this was uh, something I really wanted to do. But at the time, I hadn't finished my undergraduate degree, which I, I did at, um, at SUNY Plattsburgh, and then I went to get a graduate degree in historic preservation at the University of Vermont. So uh, I was about uh, 32, I think, by the time mm-hmm. I uh, finished that <clears throat> schooling. I'm going to make a value judgment here. Uh, Adirondack architectural heritage, you hear the phrase, you hear the phrase historic preservation, you get a certain sort of connotation. seems to me in the material I've looked at on your website and uh, just hearing you speak, you make an effort not to be hoity-toity about this. You're, you're, you are talking about something like Camp Santanoni, but you're also interested in all the structures in the Adirondacks. Yeah, that's that's very, very true. You know, often the kinds of historic architecture that gets the most attention are the uh, the sort of big, grand places, whether they're you know city halls uh, or or mansions. Uh, but we're very interested in in really everything from you know one room schoolhouses to miners' uh, cottages to lighthouses, to industrial buildings. Um, everything, I think, helps to tell a part of the Adirondack story. Uh, everything, uh, almost everything, still has some value if it's uh, used and cared for uh, properly. And I think having this sort of broad appreciation for a whole range of architecture is also a way of valuing and, and, and appreciating the, the lives of all kinds of people. So we're very democratic that way, I guess. In my own little uh, history writing, where I mainly do local history of the eastern Mohawk Valley, where, where I grew up in around Amsterdam, I frequently say that I'm not that interested in buildings. <laughs> you know, I want to tell stories about the people who lived and uh, and worked and, and, and so on and so forth. But I do have to admit, you know, again, looking at the material that's on your uh, website and, and talking with others, I mean, buildings are fascinating uh, because, well, people lived in them. Yeah, and, um, you know, every building has a story. And I think the reason that a lot of our programming is about the stories that buildings tell is because unless buildings have meaning uh, to people, it's, it's, it's unlikely that people are going to care for them. I mean, and, and that's a way to encourage a, a sort of preservation ethic in the region and in communities and individual is to, is to give buildings meaning to people. And a lot of this is by opening people's eyes to the stories that they tell and they reveal to us. Would you say your primary role in the organization, Adirondack Architectural Heritage, is um, informational, maybe even entertaining? I mean, you do some specific preservation work, but you're mainly geared toward getting the word out? Yeah, well, it, it's sort of a, a, a three-part um, <laughs> process, if you will. I mean, in order to, I mean, ultimately, we want people to be good stewards of the historic properties that they're responsible for, whether that's a, 
a town or a county government or it's a nonprofit institution or whether it's a business person or an individual and in order to in order for people to want to be good stewards they have to appreciate what they have in order to appreciate what they have they have to understand what they have so almost everything we do goes from understanding to appreciation to good stewardship so um you know there is a lot of uh, edu- that is a big educational process so yes we we do we are giving out a lot of information in a variety of ways let me uh, ask you about some specifics you know some specific structures correct me if i'm wrong but i got the impression that this year or maybe it was last year but you were doing your own lecture or and, and you have a specific interest on bridges in uh, in the adirondacks yeah, and uh, that's for a couple of reasons. I'm I've just just always been interested in bridges from a you know personal point of view, and I've always found uh, the engineering of bridges uh, fascinating. I've also, as someone who has worked with my hands a lot, I, I've uh, you know come to see what was involved in building a stone arch bridge or assembling a. Uh, wrought and cast iron bridge or making a, a, a bridge out of uh, you know reinforced concrete I, I kind of I have a, a love of that kind of uh, technology but I think the other reason that we spend a fair amount of time talking about historic bridges is I think of all the kinds of uh, structures in not in not just in this region but in New York and pro- perhaps across the whole country I think bridges as historic structures are the most endangered they're they're really disappearing very very quickly from our our landscape and um so we feel that it's uh, it's up to organizations like us to to speak up on on their behalf and, and one thing i wonder if it's gotten any better building bridges this is an odd thought maybe but it seems to me those old railroad bridges um you practically have to dynamite them i i mean i'm thinking of the bridges i see in the capital district where I live, they aren't particularly maybe attractive, or maybe they are in their own way, but those are solid bridges. Well, sure, and they were, uh, you know, they were built to carry quite heavy loads, I mean, compared to uh, the, you know, road transportation bridges. I mean, railroads are involved quite a bit more more weight. And um, I think the reason that the survival of historic bridges is so... Uh, you know, perilous, I guess, is that a lot of the bridges that we built in the late 19th and early 20th century just were simply not made to carry the loads that we're asking them to carry now. They were carrying, you know, horse-drawn conveyances mm-hmm. of one mm-hmm. kind or another. And bridges are very exposed uh, to the elements, including, you know, rain and salt and snow and ice, and then you put flooding in the mix. And uh, it's very tough for them to survive. And then you get uh, an engineering culture that, uh, as it should be, is very, very geared towards public safety. And, and so unless the engineers responsible for our you know, bridge infrastructure can, can guarantee the, the safety and reliability of these bridges, um, they tend to get uh, replaced, um, and, and they are being replaced uh, quite frequently. Can you tell us about a couple of favorite bridges in the Adirondacks? Sure. Yeah, there's a, let me tell you about a, a success story. And, and um, 
in the town of Hadley, uh, which is in Saratoga County, there's a wonderful bridge called the Bow Bridge, which is uh, built was built about 1890, and it crosses the Sacandaga River right where the Sacandaga and the Hudson uh, come together. And uh, it's very unusual. It's a kind of a truss called a parabolic or a lenticular truss, and they were exclusively built by a a uh, company in Connecticut called the Berlin Iron Bridge Company, based on the patent by a man, I think, from Binghamton, New York, uh, named William Douglas. And the company built about 500 of these bridges, and they were shipped all over the country. And today, only about 40 of them uh, mm. survive. And, and one of those is in the Adirondacks, this bow bridge uh, over the Sacandaga in Hadley. And, and we were involved, oh, seven or eight years ago in drawing attention to the, uh, the, the uniqueness of the bridge uh, and ultimately got Saratoga County to uh, give supporters of the bridge uh, time to study the feasibility of its rehabilitation. We helped uh, write a successful $1.2 million federal grant application that brought money to fund the rehabilitation of the bridge, and I think in 2008 it was uh, reopened to, to great fanfare. And it's a very um, you know, beloved structure in the town. It's on the town's letterhead, and it's one of the things that uh, people love to come and, and, and see when they visit Hadley. And so we were collectively involved in, in restoring a very significant piece of American engineering. But it, the bridge also is still part of the transportation network. It connects park uh, parcels on either side of the Sacandaga River. When people get off the, the train at Hadley, they walk mm -hmm. down and from the bridge can see rafters coming down the Sacandaga River. So it serves a whole bunch mm -hmm. of purposes and I think is a real uh, success story. Steve, uh, you know, Steve. I, I suppose the flip side of that is another very beloved uh, bridge is uh, a big bridge that crossed Lake Champlain between Crown Point in Essex County and Chimney Point, Vermont. And this was about 1929. And it was uh, practically the first of its kind ever, ever built in the United States. Uh, it was uh, just a beautiful monumental structure arc arcing over the over the lake, and um, it just, its condition got uh, so bad about five years ago that it was closed and, and ultimately replaced, mm -hmm. um, and uh, that was sad, you know, to lose that structure. Stephen Engelhardt is with us, Executive Director of Adirondack Architectural Heritage. Let me ask you about fire towers. I believe that's a, was that a special interest of yours, or had you just mentioned earlier in our conversation that this was one of the first things that the, the uh, heritage looked at? Yeah, very early on in, in our history, we got involved, or we were asked to become involved in an effort to save a fire tower on Blue Mountain, near uh, Blue Mountain Lake, and we served on that uh, Citizens Advisory Committee and were part of the group that restored it and, and, and opened it to the public. And that project kind of set an example for what could happen at some of the fire towers that still existed in the region uh, that were no longer in use. And the idea was that, you know, that people could come and uh, just as they had been doing for decades and decades to climb to the tops of these towers and see this wonderful, you know, panoramic view shed around them, but also 
that they could be used for educational purposes to teach people about what they were seeing in the distance, the mountains and the lakes, and what kind of vegetation they had seen as they, you know, walked up the trail to get there, or what was that slide that you can see on the hillside down below. And so this was the beginning of people uh, realizing that there was a real public education purpose uh, that was possible with these uh, towers. And growing out of that early experience, uh, we've gotten, you know, directly involved in uh, at least five other fire tower preservation uh, projects (laughs) Uh, we were responsible for putting a whole series of them on the National Register of Historic Places, and I think all of this has led to lots of other restoration projects, some done by private friends groups and some done by mm-hmm. uh, New York State DC, and all of which are done with the cooperation of New York State uh, DEC. And, you know, 20 years ago, the DEC saw these towers as being, uh, as they became obsolete, uh, saw them as being... Um, uh, had served their useful purpose. Mm -hmm. They were kind of um, elements that no longer belonged in the Forest Preserve, and and we were part of this bigger movement to try to raise awareness around uh, why they were special and how they could still serve the public. On the Historian's Podcast, we're talking with Steve Engelhart, Executive Director, Adirondack Architectural Heritage. They offer a number of tours and lectures uh, during the year's publications, and they're also involved in hands-on historic preservation. I was fascinated to uh, kind of skim over an article on your website by one of your colleagues, and she uh, led a tour of the Danamora Prison uh, in the North Country, uh, which I found was fascinating because I, I didn't realize that it it actually is uh, a, a really historic structure, important architecture there. Well, you know, this uh, the idea of doing a tour to Danamora really begins mm-hmm. uh, because I grew up in Plattsburgh, and um, in my various times in my growing up, I would my family would drive through Danamora, and there, you know, right along the main street was this uh, huge prison. I was just completely, you know, fascinated by it. And so eventually this opportunity came to just simply ask uh, the Department of Corrections, would it be possible to bring a group of people in there? And they said yes. And and so for, I think for maybe 17 or 18 years, we've been doing outings, day-long outings into the prison. And you're right. It has a very uh, interesting history. It's it's the third oldest prison in New York State. Its architecture is uh, absolutely fascinating. From you know the wall that surrounds the prison to the cell blocks inside, to the most probably interesting thing is a church within the walls of the prison called the Church of Saint Dismas. A beautiful stone church entirely made by inmate labor, including stained glass and trusses in the ceiling and stencil work and the pews and uh, right down to the, the smallest detail, all, all made by uh, inmates. So it is a fascinating outing. Hmm. Uh, St. Dismas, was that the um, one of the people being crucified with Christ? Was that... That's correct, yeah. Wow. And yeah, this is also, also called the Good Thief. Sometimes right. it's called the Church of the Good Thief, yeah. This is a shot in the dark, and I'm probably off base. Uh, but again, with my own local writing, is, does the name Turner mean anything to you in connection with Danamore? I thought they, uh, the Turner Construction Company, based in Amsterdam, had something to do with uh, building the prison. It uh, doesn't ring a bell, okay. but it's entirely possible. All right. 
Another, um, well, well, let me go to the maybe the other end of the spectrum, if you will. But I, again, I thought your uh, colleague, and I'm sorry, I'm blanking on her name, had a very good account of, you know, you obviously you realize at some point you're in the prison, you know, when you're walking through on this, and she finds it always uh, very, uh, well, in a way, frightening. I mean, what can you say about it? You know, you're, yeah. you're in the prison. Well, you know, to your point about... Um you know, one, I remember many years ago uh, coming out of the tour of the prison, and we got we sat down out afterwards in this group and amongst our group. And, and one of the things we had done when we were inside was we had sat down with a group of 12 inmates, and they were all in there for big, long periods of time for bad things that they had done. And we came out of this, and we sat down, and we were kind of talking about what we'd experienced, and someone said, you know, Stephen, we didn't talk about architecture at all when we were there. And this is to your point about your your own personal point about not being that interested in buildings. And I realized that right at that moment how much we use buildings, you know, to tell stories. And mm-hmm. it isn't always about um, we often we don't talk so much about you know fenestration or brackets or roof shape or stuff. It's really the kind of deeper things that, that buildings uh, mean and say to us, I think, that interests us more as an organization. Steve Engelhart of Adirondack Architectural Heritage with us. Uh, let me ask you about Camp Santanoni, uh, one of the great camps, you know, built for rich people who were coming to the Adirondacks in the late 1800s and maybe the early 1900s. Uh, what, um, where is this camp and what, what is it? Well, Camp Santanoni is located in the town of Newcomb, which is in Essex County. And even though we, when we were formed in 1990, we had very big you know, regional ambitions, but I must say that we were also organized around the issue of saving Camp Santanoni, because by that time, it had been owned by New York State for about 18 years. Uh, the state had acquired the Santanoni property, 12,900 acres, because they were interested in adding the land to the forest preserve. It's just south of the high peaks. And they weren't particularly interested in the buildings. Uh, and so some of the buildings were torn down, and all the other buildings were just allowed to deteriorate. And yet, as this property was opened up to the public in 1973, people began to walk in and bike in and see this marvelous camp sitting by itself on Newcomb Lake, and uh, people began to talk more about it and sort of ask the sort of obvious question, why, aren't, why isn't this being preserved? This is a really special, uh, magical uh, place. And, and it took nearly 10 years to... Uh, reclassify the the part of the Santanoni property as historic to get the state to develop a unit management plan for its preservation and public use. And ever since then, we've uh, we've been involved with, as a partner with New York State DEC and the town of Newcomb, uh, to do uh, over $2 million worth of restoration work there. And we have summer staff that interprets the camp to the public. And uh, we do... um, uh, do lots of planning work there as well, so it's really become a real gem. And, and now, somewhere between thirteen to fifteen thousand people visit it uh, every yeah. year. Why is it called Santanoni? Well, it's named after uh, the Santanoni Peak, which you can see across oh. uh, Newcomb Lake in the distance. Hmm. And this was uh, what? What do you know? The family or who was used it as a great camp? Yeah, uh, this was built for an Albany couple named Robert and Anna Prine. Mm -hmm. And 
and um, it was built starting in 1892, and as I said before, they had over a decade or so accumulated 12,900 acres. They had about four dozen buildings built on the property, including a 200-acre working farm, uh, much of which is still there. So there's the, the sort of great camp that sits on Newcomb Lake, and this is this big, sprawling, 15,000-square-foot uh, roof area, log villa, 200-acre working farm, a gate lodge complex as you enter the, the preserve uh, near the town of Newcomb, and it's really a very, very lovely spot. Well, I think as you can tell listening to you, there's a lot going on with Adirondack architectural heritage. Let yeah, me... Uh, you know, uh, before you move on, you know, one of the, the things, yes, Camp Santanoni was built for a very wealthy uh, Albany family, but I think one of the things that makes uh, Santanoni interesting, or, or how we interpret Santanoni interesting, is we also tell the story there about the people that made life possible mm-hmm. for the Prine family, the people... Uh, that ran the farm, the, 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 uh, the Charlie Petoff, who was the gardener, uh, or uh, the caretakers, um, or uh, Art uh, Tummins, or the you know the chauffeurs and the guides, and, mm-hmm. and we also tell the story of stories of the, the people who helped support that way of life there, and and because we, we we have a lot of oral histories and other kinds of documentation from their lives, we're able to tell a kind of balanced story. Yes. It's a story about the Prines and, and their ilk and how they lived in great style at places like uh, Santanoni, but we also tell the story about the people that made mm-hmm. it possible. But there is so much that your organization offers. Um, how, how can people access that? Lectures, tours, all, all that sort of thing. I would guess the website is how you communicate with people? or Yeah, the, the website is the best way to find out about everything that we do, and that's uh, www aarch.org. The other thing that people can do is if you can, through the website, find our, uh, we do an email newsletter called Arch Matters, and if you sign up for that, you'll get um, several times a month, you'll get uh, bulletins about activities that we're involved with, including our educational programs. And uh, we are a membership organization. We have about uh, 1,200 members, and so we always uh, welcome people as new members as well. Yes, and and I was going to ask you about that. I mean, specifically about, is that fundraising? I mean, you, is that how you uh, raise funds for the organization? Yeah, we're, we're supported. We, we get our support in a number of ways. We offer um, a really cool series of educational outings over the summer. This year we're doing... 40 days-long events all over the, re- in the region from, you know, the, you mentioned the prison and Santanoni and lighthouses and industrial ruins and lakeside communities, and and we're doing a bike trip. Uh, we're just uh, kind of all over the place in all corners of, of the park. Uh, we also have the 1,200 uh, members. We do some fundraising events, including a raffle and a, a gala event, and we also offer some uh, cons- we do some consulting work, mostly preparing National Register nominations as well. Mm-hmm. And we get some support from the New York State Council on the Arts. Are you looking for people to volunteer with the organization as well? Yeah, we have uh, some uh, volunteer opportunities. Uh, mostly those take place at, at Camp Santanoni, and three or four times a year we have these volunteer work days where people come together and spend the day together and 
we could be painting or staining or clearing brush from the farm and, and doing those kinds of things. So yeah, those kinds of things uh, people could find through the website or, or by calling me. Steve Engelhardt, uh, we're just out of time. Stephen Engelhardt, Executive Director, Adirondack Architectural Heritage. Thanks very much for joining us on The Historians and have a good day. My pleasure, Bob.